Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. What a beautiful, glorious night in the Byward Market. I'm walking in and, you know, you, you got the Jazz Festival that's happening down at City Hall. You've got the, I don't know what it is on Clarence Street, but you could hear the music out the back door of uh, our building here. You've got festivals all over the place. We've even got um, a festival down at the um, Lansdowne. We've got a festival down at Lansdowne. Summer is in full swing. That includes the Red Blacks with their home opener tonight. Henry Burris was being interviewed on CTV Ottawa earlier today, talking about it's going to be a spectacular evening down there. I have no doubt about that at all. I'm looking forward to tonight. It's going to be a spectacular evening. It's going to be great weather, whether it's rain, sleet, or snow. It doesn't matter. Here in Ottawa, we have a great time, and I'm looking forward to unveiling that championship banner tonight and kicking things off, and hopefully there can be a victory to come with it. I hope there's going to be a victory for the Red Blacks. That much is sure. But in the middle of all this, I'm sitting looking at what's going on in this city from the fact that we've got the um, the Salvation Army looking at moving out to Montreal Road, moving a, a problem of people that are essentially dealing with mental health issues, drug, alcohol, dependency issues, from the downtown core out into a more residential, family-oriented neighborhood. And I think, is that really the best idea? And I look at what's going on in terms of how our police and our public health officials are dealing with issues such as the opioid crisis. So we've got this festival going on down at Lansdowne. What's it called again? Um, uh, Escapade? Is that it? I'm going to show that I am completely out of touch. It's an electronic dance music festival. There's going to be a lot of bass thumping. Uh, That's obviously not tonight because it is the Red Blacks tonight. And what's Ottawa Public Health putting out there? If someone is on the nod, they're at risk of an overdose. When in doubt, always call 911. Stop overdoseottawa.ca. Make it unforgettable. Ottawa Police put out a notice earlier today that they're going to have a... uh, an amnesty box on the way into this festival. So that if, if you've got drugs and you want to ditch them, you can ditch them. No questions asked. <sighs> okay, I understand where they're coming from there. And I understand where we're coming from that we now have naloxone kits all over the place. They're on every fire truck in every fire hall across the city. I think police have them. Definitely the paramedics have them. And if you walk into a pharmacy in the city, you can stop and get one. Isn't that a sign of a problem? A problem that maybe we're not addressing properly? If our entire our entire answer to it is to have the antidote for the overdose everywhere, to have an amnesty box on the way into proms and festivals and concerts... And to be putting out tweets about, look out for the nod. 
Are people getting the message? Are kids getting the message? Are adults getting the message that these pills out there, like the pills that would have come out of this press that was busted this week? We had a, a pill press bust. This pill press could take or, or could put out 20,000 pills an hour. 20,000 pills an hour. They had enough material to, when they were busted, to manufacture 600,000 counterfeit pills. Are we sending out the right message? Do people know what's going on out there? If you listen to this program, you do. But if you listen to this program, you're not you're probably not out there pumping fake perks on the weekend. You might be worried about your kids or your grandkids doing it, but you're not doing it. And so I look at everything that Ottawa Public Health is doing, that the police are doing, that our civic officials are doing, and I wonder, is this enough? We lost Two young ladies this week. Two young ladies that had just left a bush party. We don't know much about what happened there yet. Maybe we will. Maybe we never will find out what happened there. But if there's a bush party going on now, you can bet that there's definitely drinking. And there's a good chance that there's going to be pills floating around. Is that part of what happened? We don't know. But how many young people do we have to lose? How many overdoses do we have to have, young or old, before we start saying, you know what, there is a real issue in our city. We need to start doing more than just putting out tweets. We need to start doing more than just having an awareness campaign. I'm not sure what all the answers are, but I'm not the person making six figures, high six figures, in either police operations or public health. That's not my job. That's the job of Dr. Ezra Levy. That's the job of Police Chief Charles Bordelow. That's the job of the mayor and the councillors and their various officials. They are well paid to come up with these plans, to come up with these ideas, to come up with a strategy to deal with this that will include taking the drugs off the street, that will include making people aware that one pill can kill. That's a message I've been trying to drive home to my own kids. Yeah, that's that's not something I had to worry about. I, I never, I've never popped pills in my life. I don't plan on starting anytime soon. But that's not something I had to worry about. And until recently, I don't know anybody that had to worry about that. You're doing dumb stuff in your youth. You're experimenting. You're trying out, you know, drugs, whatever. You didn't have to think, okay, I'm going to try this and I might die on my first try. There was one basketball player. I believe his name was Len Bias. He he was golden boy coming out of high school, going to the big uh, universities in the States. Went to a party, tried something once. Boom. Heart explodes. I remember hearing about crack, terrified of crack. But other than that, and I've never seen crack. Other than that, I didn't have to worry about any. You stay away from crack. Crack is whack. You're going to be good. This stuff is everywhere. So I understand why the police are trying to put up these amnesty boxes. I understand why Ottawa Public Health is letting people know about the nod trying to make folks aware. But I just get the feeling that what we're doing, it's not quite enough. I think that we need to be doing more. 
I think that we need to be doing more to alert people to the danger that they are facing, talking to them in their own language, figuring out where they are, and getting the message out. And if that includes using the faces of some of the young people that we've lost over the last year, maybe we need to consider doing that. That would require the families being willing to allow the memories of their loved ones to be used to try and warn other people off. But when you're young, you think you are invincible. You think nothing's going to touch you. And so you go out and you do these stupid things. You try these things and you think, I'm good. No, no, it's, it's no flies on me. I'm good. Don't worry about me. But what we're facing now is nothing like any of us have faced before. I wasn't around for the quaalude phase, never been around cocaine. But none of the drugs that I remember could kill you with one pill. These pills that are on the street now have bad quality control, have random amounts of opioids in them, bad opioids to begin with. Sometimes it's the type used to take down elephants. And all we're doing is saying... Beware the nod as you head off to a festival, to a concert, to one of the big events that's starting this weekend. I don't think, you know, there's going to be a whole lot of this at Jazz Festival. Maybe I'm being um, naive. but You know, I think there's going to be maybe a bit of reefer, some wine, some people getting excited about seeing Kenny Rogers. But it's at the other events throughout the year. And summer's kicking off now. Should we not? Should we not? Be doing more. Drop me a line if you agree with me. Beyond the news at CFRA.com. Of course, we'll open up the phone lines later on the program. Do stick around. We've got a great show for you. Uh, we are going to check in with uh, Jeffrey Johnson from the Kingston Week Standard, a regular on this program on Friday nights, about what's going on. What a week in terrorism. Jeffrey's going to sum it up for us and how we need to confront this. We're going to speak with Marnie Bennett from the Bennett Pros on Ottawa being one of the more affordable cities, but hey, is it affordable enough for you? That and so much more coming up in the program. I'm Brian Lilly. Oh, and Steve Clark. Steve Clark, Ontario PC MPP. He's going to be calling us just after 730. Because you remember that heartbreaking story of a senior couple that were split up in separate long-term care facilities? Yeah, the government still hasn't fixed that. Steve has that story for us. If you're watching on Facebook Live, Join us for the rest of the program, CFRA.com. You can download the iHeartRadio app, app, Apple or Android, always free. Best way to catch all your favorite talk radio, music, what have you, iHeartRadio. Download now. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. News Talk 580 CFRA. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. May I have your attention, please? Brian Lilly's Five Things You Need to Know. Well, as we worry about the opioid crisis, there is another problem on the horizon, and that is how we're going to deal with legal cannabis. Today, guidelines from, well... The Federal Health Department, Federal Health Minister Jane Philpott says she welcomes 10 guidelines designed to help marijuana users reduce health and safety risks once recreational pot use becomes legal next summer. 
Dr. Benedict Fisher is a senior scientist at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health and hopes the guidelines will help users make informed decisions. There's an extensive body of scientific data that suggests that many of the risks for harms from cannabis use are actually modifiable by the user or depend on choices that users actually make, for example, in regards to how, when, and uh, what they use uh, when deciding to choose to use cannabis. Uh, The number one recommendation that they make, don't use cannabis. I'm going to concur with that one. It's not as bad as crack is whack, but, you know, eh, still. Story number two that you need to know about, wanted. Wanted. The OPP are asking you to be on the lookout for kind of a dude they don't want you to go near. Um, You know, be on the lookout. Don't go near him. Don't approach him. He's a suspect wanted on a Canada-wide arrest warrant. Why? He's unlawfully at large. He signed out of a halfway house and uh, never went back. A 45-year-old Boyd Richards was serving a conditional sentence at the halfway house. He didn't return yesterday after signing out. OPP Detective Steve Surmay says Richard, uh, he's got a a bunch of really distinctive tattoos. There's a, um, a barbed wire tattoo basically around his neck. And there's a um, swastika on the left side of his head. Barbed wire, swastika, and on, um, I I think it's on one of his calves, he's got three hooded guys in uh, clan outfits. So, um, you know, if I saw a guy like that, I wouldn't need the OPP to tell me, uh, don't approach him, stay away. If you want to see photos in a full description, you can go to CFRA.com. I'm going to tell you. You want to go check this guy out and see the photos at CFRA.com. And then if you do see him, don't go near him. Just call 911. All right. Story number three that you need to know about. And this is one of the questions that I put up on our Facebook page today. And it's a question I'll put to you later on in the program when we open up the phone lines. Would you quit your job if you won $22 million in the lottery? It's only $10 million tonight in the Lotto Max. So apparently, you you know, if, you, if you're based on, basing yourself on Paul Hindo's standards, you could not quit your job. Paul Hindo, real estate developer. Uh, a guy who's worked in the real estate industry for an awful long time, won $22 million, and he ain't quitting his job anytime soon, he told uh, CTV's Eric Longley. Hopefully we use the money for to do some good in community and uh, help friends and help uh, families. I'm an immigrant to this country, so this country has been tremendously good to me, so it's one way of giving back. I, kudos to you, Paul. Kudos to you. I, I know you're going to find a, a lot of long-lost relatives coming out of the woodwork now. And I would probably not be hosting this show tonight if I had won $22 million last week. I wouldn't stop working. I would still find things to do, but but I'm not sure I'd be doing the show. I think most of you would quit your job and find you know other ways to help, invest, what have you. Uh, story number four, fantastic news in terms of Canada Day and what's going to be happening. All right, so it's not the full band that's coming. Not all of you two will be making an appearance, but Bono and The Edge. That's half of you two. You just don't have Larry Mullen Jr. and uh, Adam Clayton. You got the two guys with the fake names showing up. They're going to show up. 
they're going to perform one song around noon as part of Canada Day. I think that is tremendous. Not sure how they were able to finagle that because I think they play Toronto within the next week. They might play Toronto this weekend. They're not actually in Canada over July 1st. They're dropping in between stops in New Jersey and Ohio. They're dropping by for 150. Uh, the, the Trudeau government may live to regret this because I remember Paul Martin had Bono come out and sing at his essentially liberal coronation to become Liberal Party leader and prime minister. Next time Bono played Ottawa, he had everyone taking out their phones and calling the prime minister's switchboard to tell him he wasn't doing enough on foreign aid. Story number five that you need to know is happening down at TD Place right now. And that is the Ottawa Red Blacks are kicking off their home opener against the Calgary Stampeders. Former quarterback now, my colleague, Hank Henry Burris, saying there's going to be an awful lot of pressure on Trevor Harris. There is a lot of pressure on Travis, Trevor, but the thing with Trevor, he just needs to focus on doing his job, not worrying about anything in the stands, what people in the media are saying. He needs to focus on just playing his game because that's the only way that's going to prove this team is successful or not. It's going to be on his shoulders, and he's going to have to make plays like we know he can make. All right, that, uh, that wraps the five things you need to know. When we come back, uh, we hope to connect with Steve Clark, MPP for Leeds Grenville, and a man who's been on this issue of seniors and how they're treated in long-term care facilities. That is next. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News, the Friday edition. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. So you're married and together for 47 years. Then you have to go into a long-term care facility and you are split up. That's something that keeps coming up in the news, and it's something that the government keeps saying should be fixed. Well, we're talking about the story of Jim and Joan Scarf, who um, were separated uh, for quite some time. This issue was raised with the Minister of Health in the province of Ontario, Dr. Erica Hoskins, back on May 8th. But nothing has happened. Nothing has changed. Steve Clark is the MPP for Leeds Grenville and uh, has been working on this file for the Scar family. And also, I would say, Steve, for for families across Ontario, because this is the type of thing that uh, shouldn't be happening, period. And it's heartbreaking for everyone. So fill us in on on how this started, how you got involved and, and where we're at now. Well, it, uh, we were uh, we had the uh, granddaughter of uh, the scarves reach out to us in uh, in may uh, expressing concern about the fact that joan had had a stroke uh, was put in a home in merrickville um, but we couldn't seem to get jim and joan in uh, in together at uh, bayfield manor in kempville and it, it just became very frustrating uh, i had a situation last fall where uh, a couple um, were separated and uh, the husband died in, uh, you know, in heartbreak after 63 years. And I vowed last fall that I wouldn't let this happen again, that I, I would uh, speak out against the Lynn and the former CCAC's mismanagement of the system when it comes to uh, reuniting couples. 
and I, you know, I wrote the minister, and here's five weeks later, there's been no, nothing put on the table by the uh, so, Champlain Lynn to fix it. But last uh, fall, and, wasn't there a promise, hey, let's not do this anymore? Exactly, there was, there was, and, and, and these, these type of cases of, uh, of uh, couples being split up has come up uh, several times at Queen's Park. Every time the Lynn and the minister express uh, their concern, uh, you know, the fact that they empathize with the families affected. But you know what? After that, Brian, nothing happens. They, they, they don't do anything to change the system. And, you know, I'm, I'm tired of it. And I basically wrote the minister again today and said, you got two weeks to, to unify this family because, you know, this is, this is causing a great mental toll on both of them. Uh, you know, so uh, are they both at the, the point where they need extra care beyond home care? Is that why they're both in different facilities? Uh, absolutely. Jim, Jim's in, uh, in Bayfield Manor, which is a very unique facility. It has a retirement side which is where he is in, but there's also a side that has uh, more long-term care type mm-hmm. programs. And it's the, the beauty of that facility is the fact that you can have somebody on, uh, on the one end of the building that needs that long-term care, and you can have somebody else in the building that has a more independent living unit. And this is what Jim wants. But, you know, because this is creating such stress, you know, Jim admitted today that, that he's, he's looking at getting some some counseling services the the anxiety that he's feeling uh oh, wow. you know, the, the mental anguish of of having that separation is just is is getting the best of him and and I think this is the case with so many couples that that are being split up under this uh healthcare system that we've got in this province and uh, you know Eric Hoskins is a doctor himself he needs to he needs to do his job he needs to make this system work and uh, you can't have some a couple that have been married 47 years. Jim, for goodness sake, was a OPP officer for 27 years. He served this province uh, well over that 27 years, and the system now needs to serve them well. I I, I absolutely agree. You know, I remember um, I, I used to know someone that worked in a it was a private facility, but very similar. And the, they told me about how there were couples where one might have Alzheimer's or different medical conditions that required constant care. And, you know, one, you know, the husband or the wife would be on one side and, and the other would be, um, you know, in the independent living side. So uh, those are beautiful facilities when they work. But in this case, it, it's splitting them up. Is there anywhere else in the region? I mean, that's what the Lynn's supposed to be doing. I, I, I shouldn't be asking that. You shouldn't be asking that. That's why we have this extra layer of bureaucracy to sort all of this out. There's nowhere else in the region that they could say, all right, well, we can't get you in Kempville, but we can get you in Brockville, or we can get you in the south end of Ottawa, or we can put you in Augusta or somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and when the, the Lynn actually gave them a proposed solution, you know what the solution was, Brian? They suggested that maybe Jim should get an apartment in Merrickville. It, totally ridiculous. Just a, just a ridiculous solution that, that had the government doing nothing and and Jim uprooting himself again. So you know, uh, you know, the, everyone involved in this process acknowledges that that uh, having a separation like this uh, is is very debilitating. Uh, you know, you can see that people are starting to deteriorate. Their health is starting to to suffer because of the loneliness and the separation. 
And, you know, this is a problem that, uh, that the Lynn and the minister have known about and have had ample opportunity to fix it. And, and you know, when I had to go to that funeral home uh, last fall uh, to talk to that family about having their father uh, pass away by being separated from their mother, I said no more. And, and I'm, I'm going to continue to go at the government that they need to be able to do their job they need to be able to fix the system, and we need to reunify the scarves as soon as possible. Is it a matter of of funding? Is that part of what's going on? No, I think it's a, I think it's an issue of uh, of the wait list. You know, I, I the, the minister hinted to me uh, when I met with him in May that I needed to to focus on that whole um, you know uh, you know mental anxiety that the couple were feeling, and that would prioritize them. So that they would be reunified, but you know, healthcare workers have uh, have acknowledged uh, to uh, the Scarfs family that they don't have a policy to deal with reunifying people, and that's why you know I've seen it now twice since last fall. Uh, I've seen it come up uh, in the question period and in the legislature every month in all corners of the province. Um, you know, this is a big problem, and and the government can't turn a blind eye to it. It's, I think it's part of system management. We've got this tremendous bureaucracy that's been created by the Lynn. Uh, the minister says he wants to fix it. The Lynn say they want to fix it, but they just continue to drag their feet and they continue to do nothing. And it's, uh, it's a problem that needs to be, be remedied. Yeah, I've not been a, a speaking with Steve Clark, a, con, a progressive conservative MPP for Leeds Grenville, about the situation with the Scarf family. Jim and Joan Scarf, forty-seven years together, now separated uh, because they can't get care in the same long-term care facility. You know, Jim needs independent living, but Joan doesn't. And and Steve, I, you know, this this is the sort of problem the Lins were supposed to solve. I've never been a fan of them. I thought that it was an extra layer of bureaucracy that wouldn't do anything. And hearing stories like this time and time again makes me think, you know, that that original gut instinct, Brian, that was probably right. Exactly. Exactly. And and I and I think we've we've seen it uh, more and more um over the last several uh, months. You know, I was on the phone uh, earlier this week with the other Lynn. I've got two Lynns actually. Unfortunately, I've Two Lynns that cover my riding, the the Champlain and the Southeast, and I was on the phone with the CEO of the Southeast Lynn, expressing concern about an, another issue in the riding regarding placing somebody in long term care. So it just seems that that regardless of 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 how they're set up, these Lynns were supposed to be local, and they were and and the word uh, inside their name was integration. They were supposed to be able to integrate the system. There's been no uh, person to help the scarves navigate the system. Uh, that's what the Lynn is supposed to exactly, be doing. Exactly. And, and you hit the nail on the head. There are other facilities in our riding that are similarly set up by Bayfield. Obviously, I'd love to have them go there because they, they live in Kempville. They've got roots in Kempville. They've been involved in the community there. Um, you know, but but there has to be a way for the land to deal with this. Okay, but for the Scar family, you know, I, I I don't live in Kempville. I know people that do. If you're from Kempville, driving out to Merrickville is not a huge deal. So if you've got to go visit your parents or grandparents and you have to go to Merrickville, 
it's not going to be a huge deal. So if they could get into a facility in Merrickville together, I'm sure that that would be an acceptable solution. Yeah, absolutely. But the uh, Lynn is supposed to be the facility that helps that, not the one that stands in the way. No, and 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 they've acknowledged to the family that uh, Mrs. Scarf has uh, has stayed on that waiting list and 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 really not got uh, the priority that I think uh, she deserves. And you know, having having been to uh, Bayfield and Kentville today, and and having spoken to uh, Jim directly. You know, he. You know, this is a man that you know is 85 years old, who's served the province well as an Ontario provincial police officer, and and I can see that that this is weighing on him, that it's affecting his health. He's acknowledged to me that uh, that he wakes up at night and the the anxiety and the, and the mental anguish is really, uh, you know, causing him him uh, a lot of pain, and and I think that there has to be something in the system that that recognizes that and and able to adapt when you get a situation like this you know Jones stroke was uh, was was terrible her one side is uh, you know very difficult uh, for her to use and and I think one of the things that we need to do is is to try to get these couples back and and to have something in the system to be able to do it this is why the land was created to try to deal with the health care facilities in regions like Leeds and Grenville and uh, they're doing an awful job. It's a disgrace to our healthcare system the way they the way they operate today. All right, um, Steve. Thanks so much for the time. Do keep us updated. Let us know if a solution comes up, both yeah, well, for I've the scarves and, and for others. I've given him a, I've given him a two week deadline on the scarf, so we'll see if he hits the deadline. All right. Thanks for the time, Steve. All the best. Thank thanks, Steve Brian. Clark, MPP for Leeds Grenville. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Stick around. I could listen to you two all night. I could listen to them all day. I'd be very happy with it. Unfortunately, when they come for Canada Day, they're going to be coming for one song. One song only. Maybe they'd be convinced to do two. Who knows? But a surprise announcement today for the 150 event on the hill. And I know most locals don't go to the one on the hill. You go to events in Orleans, Canada, Barhaven, Greeley, Centerpoint. But the fact is, U2 is kind of a big deal. Gordon Lightfoot is a big deal in my books as well. But having Bono and The Edge show up, so half of U2 for one song, is that like a quarter of a song or half a song for the whole band? I don't know. Who knows what they're going to play? But my guess is that you're also going to hear a message from them. And I don't mind the political messages from you two. I know some some of you hate it. Here's the simple fact of the matter. They know their reputation and they're willing to make fun of it. 
which they've done on a couple of shows, and I'm going to play you clips from that in a second. But the uh, the fact is they have worked with liberals and conservatives, Democrats and Republicans. They don't care. Their issue is dealing with whatever issue is in front of them. Poverty, water, what have you. Like I said, they're willing to make fun of themselves. They did that on Entourage. I don't know if you ever watched Entourage, but Matt Damon is also big into pushing causes, and Matt Damon was making fun of himself in an episode. Now, Entourage was built around this central character, Vince, who was kind of a, you know, self-absorbed young movie star. And Matt Damon wanted him to donate to a charity, and Vince kept ducking him. So one day, he called him up with Bono on the phone as well. Get off your arse, Vince. That's Bono, Vince. Oh, uh, hey, Bono. You know, it doesn't take much to have a big effect here, Vince. Yeah. I tell you what, when you're done with your Frank Darabont movie, I'm going to take you on a trip, okay? Yeah, for sure. In the near term, I would like a check. Okay. K for how much? Do what's right, Vince. Don't be a cheapskate, man. Do it today, okay? Don't make me wait. I'm going to be waiting. <laughs> Both be waiting. See you, Vince. It's not the only time that they made fun of themselves for this, though. They also made fun of themselves on The Simpsons on this very issue in the episode where Homer decided he was going to run to be the sanitation commissioner of Springfield and decided to interrupt a U2 concert to campaign. One man. What the bloody hell? Quiet, you. I know you youngsters want to see these rockin' rockers, but I also know you care about the race for sanitation commissioner. So let me give you the 911. Hold on, people. The man's talking about waste management. That affects the whole damn planet. Oh, here we go. What do you say we slip out to Moe's for a pint? Can I come? No. Wankers. <gasps> so that was the whole band in there. Uh, Larry Mullen, of course, doesn't speak ever, so he didn't speak in that. But that was the edge saying to Larry Mullen, hey, want to go to Moe's for a pint? And then they wouldn't let uh, Adam Clayton, the bass player, come with them. So they know their reputation. Let me tell you, if you go on Canada Day, you're going to hear them praise Canada. You're going to hear them say we need more Canada. But they're going to also ask you and the government to do more. And then they're going to play one song, maybe two. But still, kudos to the government for being able to convince them to show up. And kudos to you, too, for agreeing to show up. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News, the Friday edition. We're going to play more U2 throughout the show just because I like them and it's my show. And if you don't like them, you can go on my Facebook page. I post it on both Facebook.com slash Brian Lilly and the CFRA Facebook page. I'm looking for recommendations for new music for the show the only stipulation no classic rock you want me playing old dude rock it ain't gonna happen you want some new stuff you want some 90s manchester stuff you want some new order you want some country pop whatever let me know but if you ask for eric clapton it ain't going to happen go make the suggestions at facebook.com slash brian lilly until then We'll keep playing the U2. Marnie Bennett is standing by Ottawa, one of the least expensive cities to live in. I'm not so sure about that. We'll talk to Marnie about that 
And coming up at 8.30, A Week of Terror with Jeffrey Johnston. little bit of U2, the song I Will Follow, released in 1980, believe it or not. How old does that make this song? Almost 40, which is a great song by U2 from their next album. Uh, Bono and The Edge, who are just about to be 60 soon, they're going to be showing up at Canada today and having a lot of young people scream about them. That's kind of funny. Meanwhile, here in the nation's capital, there is some good news in terms of affordability. I've been out to Vancouver and uh, in the last year. I've been to Toronto a few times. I was was there last weekend. Every time I'm in Toronto, you know what people are talking about? The fact that they can't afford to live there anymore. The latest report from Mercer, which is an HR company around the world, says Canadian uh, cities surge in cost of living rankings due to the rise in Canadian dollar. Says driven by the rise in Canadian dollar since the last survey period, Canadian cities climb higher in the rankings due to more rapidly rising rents. Vancouver is 107th, pulls away from Toronto at 119 to cement its position as the most expensive city in the Canadian ranking. So out of 107 cities ranked, Vancouver's at 107. That's, you know, could be worse, I suppose. Ottawa is at 152. It's ranked the least expensive city in Canada. I'm guessing that's major city in Canada. I want to bring in Marnie Bennett from Bennett Property Shop to uh, to talk to us about that because a lot of what this is uh, driven by, Marnie, is the cost of actually living, the cost of being able to afford a home either through rent or purchase, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I'm sitting here right now. I look like an economics professor at Carleton, but we've got to always be aware of the trends and what's going on. And we're really, really lucky, Brian, to be in Ottawa. And it's called the uh, Affordability Housing Index. And what that means is if your uh, average household income, and Ottawa has the highest average household income than any other city in Ontario, we're averaging about $105,000. So what, if anything, is about three times the medium income uh, for housing, you're in a really good spot. And we're at 3.4 uh, as opposed to Vancouver, for example, which is at 10.4. So what that means is it costs them 10 times more money to, to afford a house. Ten, and hold if, on, 10.4 times their income? Mm-hmm. It's awful. I, how do you afford that? Well, they don't. And, uh, of course, a lot of that, that's why the foreign tax came in, you know, from the Asian market, because they were just driving it up like crazy. And uh, Ottawa has not experienced that. Toronto is right there as well. 
Uh, I mean, on the planet, uh, Vancouver is the third least affordable uh, city in real estate on the planet. On the, that Vancouver. is insane. Yes. Well, mean, meanwhile, they're looking after their city councils, looking after really important things. I've got a story in front of me. This is unrelated to you, but um, uh, they're looking to reduce the number of coffee cups, plastic bags, and takeout <laughs> containers cluttering the city's garbage dumps. So they're going to they're looking at banning to go coffee cups. Yeah. I think they've got bigger fish to fry. You think? Okay, like housing is definitely an issue in Vancouver. And, of course, uh, as you know, uh, Toronto just did the same thing with the Golden Horseshoe with the tax. And uh, what's happened there, inventory's up 20%. But, Brian, the prices are up year over year in Toronto, 28%. So- I was telling you before we went to air about my parents. They live in Hamilton and uh, up on the mountain in a, um, you know adult lifestyle community. I call it the seniors' home just to bug them. It's not. Uh, you know, it's one of you're these. Just, ad- you're the favorite son, I guess. No, I'm, I'm just the one that <laughs> takes the Mickey out of them. So they are. They're they're in one of these um, you know adult lifestyle communities. It's um, either bungalows or semi detached that sort of thing. And, and they were telling me recently that uh, the housing prices within their community they haven't had their place appraised, but some of them have doubled. Because of the the influx and the the movement through the GTA, so I guess we are kind of lucky in that sense. I still think housing in Ottawa is too expensive. I you know I want it to be cheaper if I'm buying. Everybody does, but I guess comparatively speaking, we're lucky. Oh, we're a steal. Like we're a steal. I mean, just in the last fifteen years, our average price has only gone up on average five point nine percent. That's it. I mean, if you go look at Toronto, look at Vancouver, even uh, Calgary, uh, go to Hamilton, Guelph, uh, Vaughan, Ontario, Oakville, we are the best affordable uh, housing in all of Ontario and close in Canada. I mean, the average sale, I mean, the least expensive housing actually is New Brunswick, a single-family three-story home there at about uh, 2,000 square feet, so only 127000 So uh, that's the least expensive Ottawa, we're at 436 for a residential property. Um, in Calgary, they're $50,000 higher. Vancouver's $1.1 million. When I'm telling you this, I'm talking all the same kind of houses. Uh, everything is the same. In Ottawa, the condos, the average condo in Ottawa resale is 271000 It's 536000 in Toronto. I, well, I remember a cab driver taking me out to the airport in Vancouver once. And he pointed to a really, it was like, you know, you think of the worst of communist era building. Vancouver has some very nice buildings, some really nice real estate, but this was, this was an ugly building and, you know, gray, nothing to recommend it. And the cab driver is telling me about how expensive it is. And he points at that and he says, and this is about six years ago. He says, two bedroom in that place will cost you half a million. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's much more than that now. Uh, so, Marnie, but people in Ottawa are still comparing. They're not comparing themselves to Toronto or Vancouver or Hamilton or Guelph or Vaughan or anywhere else. They're comparing themselves to Ottawa. And I, I hear from a lot of people here, oh, it's tough to buy a house. It's expensive. So let's talk about a few things. Uh, we'll start with uh, a strategy or two for getting into the market. How do you get into the market? Because the earlier you get in, the better it is for you in terms of being able to move up to that next level of house and build equity, right? 
Well, what we're really fortunate is the interest rates are so low right now. And, uh, I mean, they're 1.99, two and a quarter. Um, on average, uh, you're looking at, I, I call it Marnie math, it's uh, $400 for every $100,000. So basically, for every $100,000 in mortgage, you're paying $400. And uh, so if you're paying rent right now at $1,200, and even at that, you can't find it. Most rents now in Ottawa, they've gone up a lot. Uh, they're about uh, 14 2200 in that range. I mean, a two-bedroom condo just in Little Italy, for example, is going for 2200 and that's less than 800 square feet. So you're carrying, and this is what I've never understood, I mean, at that, you're carrying uh, over a $500,000 mortgage as it is, your, your monthly carry. Wow, okay. So, you know, I, I always so say So you may as people, well buy something. Exactly. And, you know, you can buy for as little as 5% down. Uh, you know, people, uh, your parents or relatives or anyone can give you a gift letter, and uh, you can get financing up to 95%. Uh, the Ontario government, and I take that as fast as I could, they're now giving, of course, uh, rebates of up to $4,000 on land transfer tax, which is phenomenal. So, I mean, these are all the things that you're looking at. I mean, in Ottawa, I've been looking at the stats from 1956. So people in 1956, the average house in Ottawa is $13,000. And and now what we're looking at, it's 435000 The average house year over year has gone up $31,000. And what people aren't realizing, Brian, is that we're growing here. High tech is back. Uh, I'm sure you know all the high tech companies. Just yep. look up under um, Invest Ottawa. I mean, you've got Apple here, Shopify. I mean, they're all coming here. We just had some at our office the other day. Right on, uh, right on Grandview Road, walk up with a check and said, I'll buy your house, name a price, and bingo, bango, uh, $5.1 cash from high tech. And there's a lot of money in Ottawa. The, so I'm uh, in the wrong line of work is what you're telling me. Well, high tech is it, it's, it, <laughs> it's where it's at. I mean, the market in Ottawa, million-dollar homes are up 92% in demand, and we never used to see that. What if, condos, what uh, if you're looking at downsizing, though? Because maybe you've uh, your kids have all moved out. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a good strategy for downsizing so that you know, if you're either retiring or about to retire, you don't want to take on another mortgage? No, what what a lot of people, I, I say them, like, there's some great townhouses that you can live at. And of course, uh, and you want to be close to whether it's the LRT or that you don't need to have a car. It all depends like you, what you're looking at and, and what you like to do with your lifestyle. I mean, obviously, the urban core, like downtown, Westboro, Auto, Old Ottawa South, Glebe, and so forth, are very expensive. I mean, the average prices there are close to $800,000. Um, Well, if you're downsizing, you may not want to go there. (laughs) Exactly. Well, the areas that are very affordable and you may, you know, people may love is Almont, for example, Carlton Place, um, Arm Prior, and uh, then on the east end, you're looking at Limoges, Rockland, Castleman. Um, The prices you can get are phenomenal. So, again, if you want a little village lifestyle, but you're still not too far away. Um, The Prior has just got a great walking area there so i mean you can walk around if you're if you're near the core yeah well and elmont's a really cute spot too so you know these are the different things brian i mean it's substantially less i mean we're talking three hundred thousand less uh so it's a quite a good deal um young people uh, a lot of them want to move into the condos 
And even uh, the uh, people that are looking to be baby boomers, they're moving into condos because of the lock and leave style. So it's all about, uh, again, we, we have a checkoff list and, you know, how far do you want to be from your work? Are you still working? Do you like to, you know, bike? Do you like to shop? You know, coffee shops? And, you know, do you have a little dog? A lot of people have dogs now, so this is something that we look at. But uh, definitely... Ottawa's ready poised to really go into double ditches, uh, double digit increases. And uh, I really encourage people to start buying now and because uh, we're getting seller market now. Uh, you're getting lots of multiple offers. 57% of the real estate in Ottawa sells between 300 to 449 and And that's multiple offers. That's, uh, that's a lot of people looking in that market. Oh, wow. Okay. So you might want to get on there. Uh, Marnie, we can hear you tomorrow. Yes, right here on News Talk 580 CFRA, so do check it out. Uh, one o'clock. One o'clock, Marnie's experts on call. You can hear her and all her advice. But thanks for joining me tonight because it's uh, it's the biggest investment anyone's going to make, but it's also a confusing one. Most definitely. So have a good evening, everyone. <laughs> you too. All the best. I'm Bye-bye. Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll be back after this. I'll give you an update on how the Red Blacks are doing. Almost called them the Rough Riders. There's a throwback. And coming up just after 8.30, we will check in with Jeffrey Johnston, Kingston Week Standard. What a bizarre week in terms of nonstop terror attacks. We probably didn't even get them all in the news cycle. Back after this. Bono, Vince. Oh, uh, hey, Bono. You know, it doesn't take much to have a big effect here, Vince. Yeah. I tell you what, when you're done with your Frank Darabont movie, I'm going to take you on a trip, okay? Yeah, for sure. In the near term, I would like a check. Okay for how much? Do what's right, Vince. Don't be a cheapskate, man. Do it today, okay? Don't make me wait. I'm going to be waiting. Both of you waiting. See you, Vince. I just love that scene from Entourage. I'm a guy. I love the show Entourage. We're going to get a bit of a lecture when they come, but that's okay because the music is fantastic. I'll put up with it. And despite the fact that everyone thinks they're a bunch of lefties, I don't think so. I don't think that that's where they are. I think they're humanitarians, lots of other things. I want to throw this out at you. I mentioned it earlier. But if you won the lottery, would you quit your job? If you won $22 million, would you drop what you're doing? Because I can't believe that Paul Hindo is um, still in at work. But he hasn't left his job yet, despite winning $22 million and collecting his check last week. We still look at each other and laugh and says, you know, is this real? Like, yeah, yeah, it's real.
It's real. So why are you still working, Paul? Not that you can afford it. You don't want it. You know what I mean? It's. Oh, here he's talking about, uh, you know, buying crazy cars and stuff. Not that you can afford it. You don't want it. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's it's silly. But it's uh, and my wife and I were talking about this. It's like, going to change? No. We're going to change the house? No. Uh, we're going to change anything? No. Maybe a little bit of renovation here and there. I might change a few things. I wouldn't stop working. I might change what I'm doing, but I wouldn't because, you know, you still have to have something to do. You have to have a purpose. $22 million, you can invest in a lot of businesses. You can change a lot of lives. You can do a lot of good. And I know that lots of people are saying, hey, just hand me money. I need money. The best thing you can do is hire people. Make jobs. Job is the best social program. Period. I'm Brian Lilly. I'll ask you whether you would quit your job with uh, $22 million in your bank account later on. But when we come back, what a week it has been. Jeffrey Johnston will join us next. It is currently 11-3 to 3 for the Ottawa Red Blacks against the Calgary Stampeders about halfway through the second quarter. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. I'm not a runner. Evan Solomon's a runner. The PM's a runner. I'm a walker. I go out on long walks. I go out on power walks. You put this song on, you throw on your headphones, you crank it, you go out on a walk, you're going to be walking with a sense of purpose. There is no other way than to walk with a sense of purpose when you're listening to Pride. It's from the first album... That Canada's own, Hamilton's own, Daniel Lanois helped produce for you too. The Unforgettable Fire in 1984. Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois. My closest claim to fame is that I, uh, in terms of you too, is that I got to share an open mic night with Daniel Lanois at the Scotsman Pub, Long Burn Down, back in the Hammer. Chatted with him for a bit. We knew some of the same people, and that was about it. I know Jeffrey Johnson, we we're normally talk to Jeffrey about very serious issues, and we will get to those, but I know he's a big U2 fan. Uh, so one song, is that enough to get you to come up from uh, the, the St. Lawrence Seaway to Parliament Hill for Canada Day? Uh, we're probably not going to make it, but, you know, we've seen U2 a whole bunch of times. We took our daughter in 2005 when they did that amazing uh, arena tour and uh, she loved it and, and pride that's an amazing song and you know what i agree you two aren't a bunch of uh you know crazy lefties in fact uh they're really pragmatic um you know at, at the beginning of the this current joshua tree tour george uh 
Ron will start off at George Bush's uh, ranch in Crawford, Texas, and they did a photo op because uh, he enlisted George Bush back in the day in the, the fight against um, HIV/AIDS. And I remember in 2015 during the tour, uh, Bono does this really uh, did this really powerful monologue about administering antiretroviral drugs to um, expectant mothers, and this this uh, radically uh, reduced uh, the death rate of these uh, these babies. And it was really powerful moment. And my my little girl at the time, she was 11. She she started to cry. And, and I put my arm around her, and then I heard someone else crying. I looked over, and there were two middle-aged men beside me crying. That's the power of you, too. They, they and, sing about the social gospel. And, it, but it, they, they don't care about your politics. It's about the issue. And, and they took a lot of flack for working with Republicans. Democrats, uh, liberals, they're upset that they will work with conservatives. And they just keep saying, we're not about where you vote. We're about, will you back us on an issue that should unite everybody and and can you help in some way and, and that's why i respect them that's why i'm uh, I, i'm not bothered by it and as i said well i saw them in might have been 05 yeah i think it was 05 out at it was then the Corel center i believe might right. have still been the Corel center right and he had been uh, bono had gone to sing at paul martin's coronation at the air canada center when he became liberal leader and then Paul Martin wasn't doing enough. You two took them to task, put up his on the screen behind them. They put up the prime minister switchboard number and said, everybody take out your cell phone and call him now and leave him a voicemail. That's exactly right. Uh, yeah. Bono will be your best friend uh, as long as you, you live up to your promises. And I remember when Paul Martin made the uh, the, the pledges uh, for uh, development assistance and he didn't live up to them. Bono told reporters he was crushed. And that was the big news in Canada that day. So, um, you know, when he comes to Canada, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau had better not make promises he doesn't keep because Bono will hold him to task. Absolutely. Uh, Jeffrey, let's, um, you've got another piece out in the Kingston Week Standard. It's part of your three-part series on terrorism, uh, the PC culture, what we can do to fight back. <laughs> what a time for you to have launched this because it, it it's hard to believe this is all within the same week that we're it only started monday we had the the anti-muslim guy running people down outside the mosque then we had the guy in paris ramming into a cop car for the jihadi cause um and he blew himself up then we had the guy in belgium have I missed any in the Western countries? I know I've missed a lot elsewhere, but if well, I... then there was a the thing in Flint, Michigan. Oh, the, the Flint, Michigan? Yeah, so you I know? did miss something. Uh, so all of this is going on. You couldn't even get one through the news cycle before another event happened this week. No, and, you know, it all boils down to the ideology, uh, because it's not about necessarily religion, right? Because there are lots of uh, people in the world who are people of faith, and they're... They're peaceful. You look at U2. U2, um, you know, they make no you know, bones about it. Three of the four guys are, you know, devout Catholics, and they believe in sort of an evangelical Catholicism. But it's a faith where, you know, they go out and do good deeds. It's a dead faith if they're not doing good things, helping people in Africa, um, you know. But with this ideology that's present in the world today called Islamism, it's all about death and destruction and ethnic cleansing and genocide. And as Prime Minister Theresa May, uh, the UK Prime Minister, said, that there is this ideology that they have to combat, and you can't beat it 
on the uh, the battlefield. You actually have to discredit the ideology. And but we, we've been talking right. about this for a long time, though, and we've been talking about what your column this week is about, which is name the threat. And I'm, I think we're getting to that point where people are willing to name the threat, but there's still some reticence. Uh, yes, and when you bring these issues up, as I have, um, you you end up by being labeled racist or a bigot because well, they try Islam's to, not a race, so exactly skip ahead. But, but they they want to they want to shut down the debate. And as Kyle Matthews, who is the executive director of the uh, Center for Genocide and Human Rights at Concordia, he told me, you know, we have to speak truthfully about this ideology. We have to identify it, and then we can come up with solutions. Because if we don't talk about it, there aren't going to be any solutions. What do we properly call it, then? Well, you call it Islamism. Islamism is a um, religiously motivated political ideology. It's different from the religion of Islam. So it seeks to to promote um, this violent um, view of the world and ultimately take over governments and impose these draconian religious views on everybody. But we have to actually tackle it, because we've got countries like Saudi Arabia, um, Kuwait, uh, Qatar, that are actually funding uh, religious radicalism in the West. Now, the German intelligence agencies um, re- released a port- report, actually it was leaked to the media, um, and, it, and it said that these three countries are actually um, funding uh, radical mosques, uh, Islamic schools, radical clerics, radical uh, conversion groups uh, in Germany. And, and according to this intelligence reports, there are already 10,000 followers of fundamentalism, uh, Salafism in Germany. And this is really worrying, because this is the ideology that promotes um, jihad. Uh, you've got a country like Saudi Arabia, which has in its textbooks... Um, Sections that say um, Jew, uh, Jew, Jewish peoples um, are monkeys. Uh, you've got uh, in these textbooks, it's okay to pursue uh, violent jihad to advance the religion. Um, this is a country that actively promotes uh, the spread of these ideas in the West. And so Kyle Matthews said to me, we've got to actually uh, crack down on this. Why should Saudi Arabia, which has no religious freedom in its own country, they won't allow even a single church to be... Um, to be constructed there, why should we allow them to actually meddle in our countries and promote an ideology which is, you know, antithetical to our liberal democracies and to our constitutions? And he also said to me, in our own country, we've got to start cracking down on hate speech, because we all know this past winter and spring, there were a number of cases of um, uh, videotapes uh, coming out of Toronto and Montreal where radical preachers in mosques um, are calling for Jews to be killed. Uh, B'nai B'rith Canada um, released uh, several petitions and, and statements saying, you know, when is the government of Canada going to take these things well, seriously? There, there was more denunciation of the people protesting the mosque in Toronto, where one of the ra- radical preachers was, than there was of the actual preaching and what was said including killing, you know, we've got to kill the Jews. If you've got somebody saying that and someone protests, well, I think you back the protesters. You don't denounce the protesters as being anti-Islamic, as being um, uh, Islamophobic. No, they're they're protesting the fact that somebody is saying, go kill or harm another identifiable group. That's wrong. Now, this is what I'll say. Um, 
Kyle Matthews said that we actually have to arrest some of these guys and charge them and send a message that this kind of thing is just not on in this country. But I will say this, because we're not talking about the ideology openly, we're just talking about tolerance and diversity, and those are important things, but we also have to tackle the ideology that is attacking those things. But when the government does not arrest uh, or charge hate preachers with hate crimes, when... Uh, but how do you do that, though, when we do have freedom of religion, and I am a big defender of freedom of religion, so... Yeah. And it's... How, how do you get around it? Well, when you have a videotape evidence of a guy saying that, you know, Jews should be stoned to death, I think that you, you pretty well got them there. I mean, that's, that's cut and dry. But my main point is, if the government doesn't do this, this will, allow, this will create a vacuum. If, they, if we don't address the issue, it will create a vacuum. And there will be hate groups, and there are hate groups out there who promote anti-Muslim bigotry. And I, I, I'm, I am concerned about the Finsbury Mosque attack, because those people did not deserve to be run down. But this is why we have to address it, because if there is, if there is a vacuum, uh, extremist groups will fill that vacuum. So liberal democracies have to take a stand against this ideology, and it is an ideological fight. We have to uh, discredit the ideology just as we did with communism and socialism. And unfortunately, you've got socialist Marxists and social justice warriors in the West making common cause with Islamists and anti-Semitic groups that want to destroy Israel, such as the BDS movement, the Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions movement. They want to destroy Israel through economic means. Now, you've got these these groups that basically align themselves with uh, hate mongers because uh, anti-Semitism is rampant in the Middle East. And so you've got people that are promoting, people born in this country promoting hatred of Jewish people, and that is intrinsically related to this genocidal um, ideology because we've got genocide in the Middle East. That ideology is the same ideology that's feeding terrorism in this country. Speaking with Jeffrey Johnson, international affairs columnist with the uh, the Kingston Week Standard, his latest column is titled "Name the Threat: Islamism." Uh, we're getting quicker at saying it's terrorism. Do you think that we're getting quicker and more comfortable naming the threat after we're just about a full sixteen years on past nine eleven? No, we're not. And as Kyle Matthews uh, told me, um, people are quick to denounce terrorism, but they don't know what terrorism is, and they're not talking about the motivations. Um, you, you've got to say, when it's a jihadist or an Islamist, you've got to say, this is what it's about. Just as when, you know, um, in, two years ago, when uh, Dylan Roof, the white supremacist, went into the African-American ch- church, the St. Emmanuel, and, and uh, slaughtered African-American uh, worshippers who were doing a Bible study, we, you know, that had to be named as as white supremacy. Just as uh, when you've got someone, you know, stabbing a police officer in the neck in Flint, Michigan, screaming, Allah Akbar, you, you've got to say that this guy is an Islamist, because that tells us his motivation. But unfortunately, you've got uh, CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations. Um, uh, about uh, two years ago, they said, well, you know, journalists should stop using the term Islamist, and they should stop ter- using the term Islamism, and they should just say uh, terrorism. Well, that's a generic term, and it means nothing. And we uh, actually and, have and to say what it means. We already see CBC and the New York Times trying to say that uh, uh, it, it's not uh, the jihadis we have to worry about. It's it's the right wing. I want to ask you about Philip Guillard's comments, because the, the NDP is denouncing him for this. Philip Guillard, the uh, premier of Quebec, said yesterday, after the attack in uh, Flint, Michigan, he said, unfortunately, you cannot disconnect this type of event terrorism 
from Islam in general. And then he spoke about how French President Emmanuel Macron had said very eloquently in addressing the, the Muslim community in France, quote, he told them, it's also your responsibility to act on the theological front to explain to your people that this is not part of the religion, that it's contrary to the teachings of the religion. He's now being denounced for saying that. Is there anything wrong with what he said? Um, I, you know, I think it was a bit of a clumsy uh, comment. If I'd been advising him, I would have um, said, you, you clearly want to say the term Islamism because uh, the vast majority of people who are Muslim are peaceful, and uh, most of the victims of uh, terrorist attacks, even though there have been so many in the West, are still Muslim. You know, there were, there were attacks this week in Afghanistan. And there in, there was an attack today Pakistan. in Keta, Pakistan, 12 killed, Mosul, Iraq, 12 killed. Uh, Talad's Pakistan, 34 killed. Karachi, Pakistan, 4 killed. Elwak, Kenya, 3 killed. Al-Baghdadi, Iraq, 6. That's just today. I haven't even gotten past today. Yeah, and so what I would have said had I been the premier, I would have said that the religion is not the problem. The problem is there is a civil war going on within Islam. You have moderates and you have these fundamentalists who take everything they read in the Quran literally, because there is a lot of violence in the Quran, and there's a lot of hatred in the Quran as well, because you know some of these hate preachers are, are quoting it. So yes, they do need a reformation in Islam. But with all that said, uh, politicians in liberal democracies need to come out and say, you cannot promote hate. You cannot call uh, Jewish people monkeys. You cannot um, call um, Christians pigs. You cannot promote uh, violence, and you must adhere to the laws of the land. And just because something is allowed in the Middle East does not mean that we will accept that here. And we have to be clear on that. And on, and the left wing need to understand this, too, because I know there are a lot of good people on the left, but they are just so quick to pounce on people and say, well, this is bigotry. Now, I wonder what George Orwell would say about that. He would say these are these are arguments that only the intelligentsia could believe. I, I think you're right on that. And if you know, as far as saying things that are allowed in the Middle East aren't allowed here, Mohammed Rafia's wife down in New Brunswick would like to hear that. Uh, Jeffrey, we got to cut it there. We're well past time. Thanks so much for your Thanks, time Brian. tonight. Thanks for the column. I encourage everyone to go read it at thewig.com. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back after this. A little more U2 
course, they're coming to town. Coming to town, and they're going to get behind Homer running for uh, sanitation commissioner. Wonder what they think about this uh, idea from the city of Vancouver. They're inching towards a ban on coffee cups, foam containers, plastic bags. Public consultations over the summer will outline strategies to reduce single-use waste. The city of Vancouver is looking to reduce the number of coffee cups. Plastic bags take out containers cluttering up the city's garbage dumps. And bans aren't out of the question. They have bigger issues in Vancouver from the opioid crisis that makes ours look like a Sunday picnic to the fact that no one can afford to live there. But yeah, let's focus your time on banning coffee cups. You can't deal with the big problems, so deal with the little problems. I I suppose that's the strategy, isn't it? Is that what they're thinking? In the case of a ban, restaurants that rely on foam containers would have to replace them with recyclable or compostable alternatives. A counselor, uh, what's her first name here? Ms. Reimer, uh, Counselor Andrea Reimer uh, says the city will first consult with businesses over the summer before making any decision. It's a, it's a fine balance between making sure they can meet customer needs without unduly impacting their business activities. <sighs> anyway. Elsie uh, has been watching the uh, the NHL draft that's going on. Ottawa hasn't selected anybody yet, but he's going to keep monitoring that, and we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, it's the first round right now, and as we the, we're, they're into halftime at the Red Blacks game, uh, I just I'm, I'm going to combine football and the NHL draft for a moment because this past weekend, I think it was this past weekend the Saskatchewan Rough Riders let go of Vince Young, who was trying to make a comeback. Now you're saying Vince who? Vince Young was drafted third overall in the NFL in 2006. He had a pretty good start to his career. Then he had a bunch of injuries, and now he's at the point where he's bombing out of a CFL team. Why? Tore his hamstring. So, Elsie, lots of excited kids. Hey, let's talk. Just give me a quick rundown of some of the, the first picks, but you know these guys are excited now. Just because you went in the first round doesn't mean you're you're necessarily going to make it still. And not just because you, you went first overall doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a first overall pick. But uh, Nico uh, Heischer uh, ended up going first overall to the New Jersey Devils. A lot of speculation that um, any of the top three picks could swap their pick and get a veteran guy. But uh, neither of that happened. They ended up keeping their picks. And uh, Nico Heischer, who was scheduled to go second overall, ended up going first. The first Swiss-born player to be taken first overall, uh, Nolan Patrick, who is, by a lot of people's standards, expected to be the top pick, fell to uh, the Flyers' second overall. Um, you talk about injuries. This guy had an injury plague season, missed out on the World Juniors as a result of that injury, so you didn't get to see too much of him. Uh, Cal Macker, a defenseman uh, taken by Colorado. The Avalanche actually drafted a defenseman in the first round. Who knew? That was a rarity. And uh, uh, the biggest surprise, Gabe Velarde. A lot of people expected him to be a top 10 pick, um, maybe a top 5 even, uh, fell in the laps of the L.A. Kings at number 11. Uh, just, we only have a few seconds left, and normally you're telling me when we have to be done. Uh, what are the Sens expected to do? What are they expected to look for, go for? You know what, that's a very good question. Is they're at 28. And they only have four picks in the draft as well. So um, they might keep that pick. Um 
to be, if you asked um, forward defense goalie what they're leaning towards, it's a very good question. Um, honestly, it's a toss up at this point. I think I think if I'm Pierre Dorian, I take the best player available. All right. Elsie, thanks so much. We will check in with you again. Halftime for the Red Blacks. The draft continues. Your call's next at 521-TALK. 521-8255. It's Friday night. Let's have fun with Bilo. Back after this. some good in community and uh, help friends and help uh, families. I'm an immigrant to this country, so this country has been tremendously good to me, so it's one way of giving back. That's Paul Hindo, real estate guy, developer, who is not not retiring. He's not even quitting his job despite winning $22 million in, uh, I think it was Lotto 649. Congrats to Paul. What would you do with $22 million? I don't know exactly what Paul does. He's somewhere in the real estate development business. And you know what? That might be what I did. It, you know, would I come in and talk on the radio every night? Maybe not. I love the media, but you know, $22 million, Okay, maybe I go out and I start some companies, do my own thing. Who knows? But what would you do with $22 million? got to say, I'm pretty lucky with what I do for a living. I love my job. And there's lots of people that would love to have it. Just as many of them have told me when they've uh, filled in for me at various places. I can't actually do it, Brian. But what would you do with $22 million? Would you quit your job? And if you did quit your job, what would you do? Would you just retire? I mean, if you're up in years, maybe you would. If not, maybe you'd start something. Interesting thought experiment. We'd love to hear from you at 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility, or 1-800-580-CFRA. A couple of other topics to throw out there. This idea of a coffee cup ban in Vancouver bothers me because, as I always say, it's not like Vegas. These bad ideas, they don't just stay in one spot. They tend to spread. You know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and bad ideas, they tend to spread. So Vancouver's looking at complete bans on coffee cups. Remember, it wasn't that long ago that it was one city that came up with the idea of banning the plastic bag or adding a tax. Toronto added a five-cent tax, then we all had to pay it. Toronto got rid of the tax. I still have to pay five cents every time I go to Loblaws or Metro. They're just keeping the, the cash now. 
521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. And you heard the story of the scarfs earlier, Jim and Joan Scarf. Jim served this province for 22, not 22, 27 years. Sorry, I got 22 million on my mind. Jim served this province for 27 years as an OPP officer. And then he ended up needing help. He's 85. His wife had a stroke. She needs long-term care. She needs regular care. He wanted to be in the same home as her. Instead, they're separated. Heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. And the Lins aren't helping. The local health integration networks, not helping. This is what they're supposed to do. Clear away the, uh, the red tape. Coordinate. This is their job. And they're not doing it. Let's go to Stephen in Plantagenet. Stephen, you're on Beyond the News. Good evening. Good evening, Stephen. Um, I was a physician in Toronto for a while, and we developed a strategy for getting people into nursing homes. What was that? Well, you have a patient who needs to go to a nursing home. You get uh, the social workers involved. And they tell you they, they haven't got any beds anywhere for the next three to five years. So the next thing you do is you say, well, look, we're going to discharge this patient onto the street. Now, you find them a bed. And we did that, and we found beds for them pretty quick. Now, it sounds a bit draconian. It sounds a bit weird, but it works. Now, I'm sure that this principle could be applied to these people who are separated. Yet one of them to say, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I want to be discharged. Readmit me to uh, the same place as my spouse, and we can do it from there. And they might involve uh, trading one person to another, uh, from one, house, one unit to another unit. It could be done. Okay. I, I, I'd i have to, you know, speak to people. I don't know. Uh, hopefully Steve Clark is still listening, and may, maybe that's something they could try. But he has given the health minister two weeks to fix this for this particular couple. Yeah. I can't imagine the ang- anguish they're going through at this point. Well, the thing is, if you don't do anything, apply any pressure, they won't do anything. No, they're they're just going to say no complaint, so it's all good. The other thing I had in mind was to suggest to you that you might involve ACORN. Have you heard of ACORN? I have. I'm not a particular fan of them. Well, what they do do is they get, uh, they protest against unhealthy homes. Uh, they have protested against several things. And this is the sort of thing they could protest about. I mean, maybe they could. Um, I mean, generally, I, I believe that the problem here is that they're both in healthy homes. They're just not in the same home. That's the point. Yeah. So it's... Uh, as long as they're... You see, the thing is, as long as the... As far as the lens is concerned, as long as they're looked after and being... Uh, they're in their beds, so to speak, they're Okay. They don't see it from the other point of view that they should be beds next to one another. Yeah. No, I agree. Thanks for the call, Stephen. Yeah. 
Let's go to Lloyd in Ottawa calling in. Uh, Lloyd has an idea about $22 million. Maybe you could help out the scarves with $22 million, Lloyd. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what I would do with that $22 million, mm-hmm. I'd go after that mortgage company that screwed me over. You wouldn't have to worry about a mortgage anymore, Lloyd. You'd have $22 well, no. million. Dollars. <laughs> That's right. But a mortgage company screwed me over and uh, out of Perth there, and I'd go after them. Just to, I'd burn a couple million dollars just to tie them up in court. Well, I, I, I don't know your case, and I don't want to get into the details because that's between you and them, and I don't want to get involved in lawsuits. But um, I, I'm not sure. I'd, I, I think I'd be willing just to thumb my nose at them and walk away at that point and say, I got the money, I'm good. Yeah, but I want to say, I got the money, I can fight you. All right. Thanks for the call, uh, Lloyd. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. Back after this. From the album War, released in 1983. These guys are really old. Bono's going to be 57. These aren't young rockers, these guys. But I'm playing a lot of U2 tonight. Why? One, I like them. Two, they announced that Bono and the Edge are going to be coming to uh, Canada Day festivities. They're going to play one song. And yes, likely give you a lecture. But don't worry, it's for your own good. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Now, I was looking through the comments because I'd asked on Facebook, on both the CFRA page and my own page, I asked, uh, what you know, what kind of music, what songs do you want to hear? I'm going to freshen up the music soon. What do you want to hear? And I was scrolling through, and there's some interesting comments. Obviously, some people didn't listen to what I said because I just said, no classic rock, that's the only thing. Other than that, send me your, your thoughts. And I noticed one comment that stood out to me. Um, just, and I've, now I've lost it. I've, I saw her earlier comment. Natasha Vaz, and maybe you remember the name, maybe not. Natasha was on the program a few weeks ago because her daughter ended up at the Uville Center. Her daughter got pregnant at 15 and ended up finishing school at the Uville Center. Uville Center is there for you know, young mothers that they need the support of having a daycare center or being able to feed their child in the middle class, things that just aren't going to fly in a regular high school class. And they, it helps them finish high school. It's one of the things the Uville Center does, along with a lot more. 
But all these girls were graduating, and Natasha, uh, you know, her daughter still had the support of her family, but she said a lot of the others, they are kind of on their own or they didn't have much, and they couldn't have a regular prom. Prom dresses don't fit. They've just had babies, all of this, and they were trying to do a, a fundraiser online. And this audience came through in an amazing fashion, and you guys helped send them to Nordique, the spa over in Chelsea, And she just messaged me to say that they're there right now. Well, it was about an hour ago, so I'm assuming they're still there. They'll be wrapping up soon. So I've asked her if she can call in because I'd love to get an update from Natasha. But tonight is the grad night for all the young ladies at Nordique, and they are out at, um, or it's the grad night for the young ladies from Uville, and they're out at Nordique. So I just think that's fantastic. Let's go quickly to to Stephanie in Nepean. Stephanie, if you had $22 million, what would you do? Um, I would definitely, um, without a doubt, um, um, get my mom the best um, cancer treatment um, anywhere in the world um, because she just got got diagnosed with bone stage four bone cancer. So I would do that for her, Um, um, and I would also, you know, pay off my parents. debt and all that and my my last living grandmother i'd um pay off her debt and probably buy my parents a bungalow um so there's no stairs <laughs> yeah um it's just stuff like that just um and not even like really i don't even really need to treat myself to anything i just want to do stuff for other people that are um, basically in need um my sister was a, p- a patient of chios when she was really young for so so many years um, so, um, that, and, um, you know, um, do good for, for the community. And, uh, I um, think Paul Hindo is going to be doing an awful lot of that over the next while because he's already an active philanthropist mm-hmm. and community booster. Yeah. And, um, just to kind of touch base on something you said at the, be- almost at the beginning of the show that you, um, you love your job, right? Yep. And I, it really, really shows. I honestly think you do such a phenomenal job, and that's why I tune in um, every single evening to listen well, to thank you. you. And that's why I call in so much, because I, I really enjoy chit-chatting with you. I, it it I actually have, makes my night. I have a lot of fun, and I enjoy interacting with all of you and, and, and with the yeah. guests, and it's just, it's a blast. I, like, I'm not sure I would do it if I had $22 million in the bank. Um, I hope you would. <laughs> but I said I'm not sure. You know, I'd consider it. I'm not quite like Paul. And maybe I'd get the money and be like Paul and say, ah, to heck with it. I'm going to keep going in. All right. <laughs> thanks for the call, Stephanie. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. You too. Let's go to Dave in Ottawa. Dave, you're calling in about the lens. And, and other things. Listen, I'm going to try to beat the clock if I can. I got oh, a you trip. always beat the clock. Go. I got three things to talk about. Uh, first of all, let's quickly on uh, Vancouver. About two years ago, the big thing was the doorknobs. They didn't like round doorknobs because yep. some elderly people had difficulty with say, that, you know, handle types. Well, if I have a, uh, an autistic kid who tries to get out of the house all the time, I'm not going to make it easy for them. Any kid, little kids can, you know, walk up and pull those levers. What kind of doorknob I have on my house is my business and nobody else's. Thank you. Goodbye. Exactly. Anyway, I'm going to tell a personal story, and I'm going to read the three things. Uh, Theresa May said after the, some of the uh, bombings and stuff, this has got to stop. We can't take this anymore. 
Uh, you talked about the drugs, and we just can't keep letting our children die. Uh, Mr. Clark said the Lynch just can't keep doing this, and I vowed last time last year that this wouldn't happen again, and of course it's happening again. Terry Fox once said, somewhere the hurting has to stop. And I believe that the money and raised by Terry Fox in his name for many, many years still after that event has given us the, 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 the advances we have in cancer treatment and everything, diagnosis and stuff that we have today. In no small part, not entirely, but in no small part to the Terry Fox mm-hmm. way to go. But I got a personal story, and I'm going to relate with another thing. Back when I was a young guy, I was in the reserves. And I decided I want to join the regular forces under the university training plan. So I went in in the spring of the year and did all the things and filled out all the forms. And they did all the checking. They sent the RCMP to my neighborhood up and down the street and doing everybody who lived on the street uh, for the past 10 years. And they'd, you know, even, even checked behind my ears the whole nine yards. And finally, they got it all done. So they phoned me up and said, come on in. We need to see you. So I went in. They yeah. gave me the paperwork, and they said, you're in. Sign here. And not only that, we're going to backdate this to the beginning of the school year because we want you in this year's program to put you in this year's summer training. To which I replied, that's not going to be too easy, sir, because I'm already in the reserves. And <laughs> as little as I know, I do know that you cannot be in two branches of service at the same time. So they were trying to make sure that you were in the reserves when you were in the reserves. No, no. They, they just didn't realize that I was in the reserves. Okay. So they said, okay, we'll get back to you. So they got back to me the very next day. So this all got fixed within 24 hours. Here's the good news. No, I'm sorry. Here's the bad news. You're not in the reserves anymore. The good news is we've backdated your honorable discharge from the reserves to the beginning of the school year, September 1st. Here is your discharge paper. Thank you for your service. Here is your uh, signing up for the ROTP, effective September 2nd. Welcome aboard. The reason I'm giving this story is simple. There's no such thing as can't. There's I won't, or I don't want to, or it's too much trouble, or don't bother me, or all kinds of things. And if we want to stop the drugs, we can. We can take the people that we arrested for having that press and not let them out on bail while they're still awaiting well, not trial. Even they bail, pills. Not even bail, a promise to appear. Promise to appear, whatever. We got this guy, I've talked about these guys before, wanted to blow up the train. They're still in courts on our dime. They're still in prison on our dime. And the guy says, you can't try me unless it's Sharia law. Well, we're not keeping you here anymore. We're not paying your way. Get the heck out of our country. Goodbye, sayonara, and don't uh, try to come back. That guy wasn't even a landed immigrant. He was just here on a student visa. See, we are not taking the steps we need to. We can stop all that crap any darn time we want to. All we need is the will to do it and to put our foot down and get the job done. Dave for Prime Minister. Got to cut uh, it make, there, make, my make, friend. Make me pay him for a day. I'll fix him. <laughs> Got to cut it there, my friend. We'll talk again soon. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News.
What I'm about to tell you has nothing to do with mysterious ways, but rather with generosity in the human spirit and wonderment. And I'm just sitting here with a huge smile on my face. I was talking with Stephanie earlier about what she would do if she won $22 million. We've got a man in Ottawa now that's won $22 million and he hasn't left his job and, you know, he says he's not really going to change his life and... And I'm asking you, and it's one of the things you can call in on, 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. You can call in and talk about what you would do if you had $22 million. But you don't need to have $22 million to change somebody's life because so many of you kicked in small amounts, some large, to help change the lives of a bunch of young women tonight because it was about three weeks ago that we learned of this fundraiser that was going on to try and send the young women who were graduating from Uville to Le Nordique. Just let them have a spa night. They, they can't have a usual prom. But these girls who, they were pregnant. They kept their babies. God bless them. They finished high school. God bless them. They, you know... I had people, I had idiots saying, I'm not rewarding bad behavior. They shouldn't have got pregnant. Okay, well, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. The girls were looking after their children and completing high school. That's good, and that deserves rewarding. And Ted Raymond spotted it in the newsroom. He passed it over to me. I contacted Natasha Vaz. We put it on the air. I think they had $240. They were trying to raise a little over 2100 to send the girls to Nordique for the night. Send them off with a really nice night. And they had 240 bucks in a week. Put it out on the airwaves here. And you, the audience, wasn't me. It wasn't Ted. It wasn't Stephen. It wasn't Sarah. It was you. It was you, the audience, put them well over their goal by the end of the show, I was hoping we'd help them get halfway there that night, and you put them over. You helped change, or I don't know that you're going to change their lives, but you're making their lives better, even if it's only for one night, and that's fantastic. And so I was telling Stephanie I love my job, and that's one of the reasons that I love my job. I've been able to help other people over the course of the, um, in a very individual and local way over the course of the last year and a half here. Been able to help in other ways, in other capacities when I was on a, a more national scale and I still am on a national scale and able to help shape the debate and so on. But we were able to really touch those lives and I think that's fantastic. And so kudos to you. I've reached out to Natasha to see if she'll Come on, and my apologies, John just um, hung up. Uh, was about to get to you, John. If you want to call back, absolutely call back. But just a fantastic, fantastic story. And you helped touch those lives tonight. So kudos to you. So you don't need $22 million, but it's still fun to dream. And I bet those girls would dream about having $22 million and what they would do with it. So what would you do with $22 million? Would you quit your job? 
would you change the way that you live? Some say yes, some say no. Uh, Blakey, on my Facebook page, I posted this story on both uh, mine and the CFRA Facebook page. Blakey says, I'd buy a liquor store and start a dog grooming business to generate some basic cash flow prior to considering philanthropic pursuits. I'd also hire a footman and a secretary to help shield me from the flurry of congratulatory phone calls that would ensue. All right. Interesting way. I'm not sure that I would go for a liquor store and a dog grooming business, but we each uh, chase our own pursuits. Um, Tony says I'd secure a winter home in Mexico, a summer home in the Okanagan, and finally have time to eat well and exercise lots. I'd go out and do all the things on my someday list and make sure my kids had some security. Uh, Jeff says if I was above age 50, He says, yes, I would retire if I was above age 50. Between 40 and 50 depends on circumstances. But, you know, our pension is topped up uh, uh, definitively. 30 to 40, he wouldn't retire. And 20 to 30, absolutely no. I think Jeff looks like he's in his 30 to 40 range, so he wouldn't retire. Um, Mark says he would quit his job, buy a houseboat, and live near the water, travel through the waters to the States in the winter and back to Canada in the summer. You can't actually do that around here. You can actually um, do that in terms of being able to go through the Trent Severn waterway, the Rideau system, and then down through the uh, the canals. I don't know how far south you can get. I'm not sure you can escape winter through the canals in riverways. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. John in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Good evening. Yeah, sorry, I hung up there earlier. Um, in regards to the elderly couple in Kempel having, mm-hmm. having been separated for medical reasons, it, it's not the first time and it won't be the last time that that happens. And I don't know if you're familiar with the name Tony LaFaro. Uh, yeah, from the, the citizen. Exactly so. Well, about, uh, to my estimation, maybe 15 years ago, he wrote an article in the newspaper about a young married couple who had given... The, his wife had given birth to a special needs child, and in order for them to get the funding or to get the necessary people to help them, he had to leave, or one of them had to leave because they couldn't do it together. So we, now we go 18 years later, and I still know the people, and the child still has special needs, has never spoken a word, uh, eats with a feeding tube, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. And but the only way they could get the help is if both parents weren't there? If they separated. That's so in order sad. to get the funding, they had to separate and be part-time parents. So who suffered through all of that? Seven days a week, year-round, having to delegate and separate the needs and the requirements and, and pause their, their, put their life on hold every time they need to have the funding so that that child can continue to live. And I told the individual today or this evening that I was going to talk about him and his situation. I don't have to mention names. But it, like I say, it doesn't necessarily have to be the elderly that are separated. And it's just a crying shame that those things go on. There was no reason for them to have to separate to get funding. No, they could not have just at all. done it and been done with it and, and allow the two of them to do equal parenting and to actually have a marriage. And, you know, that, that is so sad. Yeah. 
but Tony should do an update or somebody should do an update on that family because 18 years later, they're still together for the interest and the safety of the child and they still do their parenting jobs and, and work during the week too. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. Thanks for the call, John. Okay. Take care. Five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility or one eight hundred five eight zero CFRA. Uh, we'll give more of um, if you want to call in on this couple in Kempville. What's going on with the lens? Absolutely. You want to call in on um, uh, the um, the fact that uh, I think we're getting better at naming terrorism, but maybe not Islamism. I spoke with uh, Jeffrey Johnson about that. You can call in at five two one talk. Or if you want to call in on a lighter note, we've got this gentleman, won $22 million, says he's not really going to change his life. Would you change your life? And if so, how? Going to read off some responses, take more calls when we come back. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. The Senators have made their draft pick. I, I don't know who he is. I, I don't recognize the kid. And I, Well, I wouldn't anyway, but we'll ask Elsie about it later. But right now, what would you do with $22 million? Frank and Greeley? Yes. Your turn. Go. Yes. How you doing there, Brian? It's oh. an update to the Bare Naked Lady song. If okay. I had $22 million. I would do. For uh, starters, I'd find a nice uh, girlfriend. Yeah, so I can uh, take her out. For one thing, and then also uh, yeah, buy all kind of cool cars, you know. Well, you know, Paul, Paul Hindo said he used to, you know, think about this now and again, and he's a guy who's done all right for himself as it is, and he'd be like, oh, you know, if I won the lottery, I'd buy <laughs> lots of cars, and now he's got the money, and he says he doesn't want to do it. Really? Wow. You know, like all these classic cars, eh? Oh, man, that'd be great. Would drain your bank account real fast. And... Uh, <laughs> And then also pay all the debts. All right. Not not a bad plan. Not a bad plan. Thanks Pretty for cool, the call, eh? Frank. Yep. Yeah, take care. Uh, a quick story about people buying classic cars. Jay Leno, of course, made millions of dollars a year for from hosting The Tonight Show, replacing Johnny Carson and, and you know, establishing himself in his own right. Um, but he collected classic cars, and his, his wife said, you're not spending your salary on classic cars. You go earn other money. So that's why he still did stand-up. And his stand-up money paid for his classic cars. Uh, Maddie in Ottawa, what would you do with $22 million? Hi, Brian. Hi, Maddie. Um, $22 million, Basically, uh, it fixed up my life because I've fallen into really bad credit. And I'd help all the people that have helped me from so far. Yeah. And then I would turn around. I would make sure the SPCA... Because animals can't really go out and look for help from people. Like, we've got people that, well, you've got homeless shelters and whatnot. Animals don't ask to be abused or left out. Yeah. So I'd help them out. Then I would help out the social community services that help people that are down and out, that whether you need bus tickets or you need help to get your teeth fixed or just integrate into society. And then I'd help some of the very, very tiny, tiny food banks that are open maybe a couple of days a week, maybe down to one day a week. Can you imagine where your food bank is only open one day a week, how bad it is? Yeah, well, I, I know how the system operates, and it uh, depending on the community, it's open 
one day a week. If if there, the bad part is, Maddie, if there's a lot of need, it's open more days. So it's kind of a catch twenty two. If it's open yeah. a lot of days, that means there's more need in your neighborhood. No, but I mean, I've I've been to food banks. I've seen the difference between a couple of food banks where it's a case of, well, here's canned food, and then your doctor yells at you because you've got no fresh fruit. There's no fresh fruits, no vegetables, no yeah. You know, and it would be nice to be able to say, yes, we've got some fresh carrots or we've got some tomatoes. Like, I've seen one food bank where the people actually bring this stuff in. If you ask for something special because, well... You need it, they'll look after it? They'll try. They'll try their hardest. They have got the biggest hearts. We're short on time and i got two other callers, so did you want to comment on music quickly or opioids very quickly? Well, I'll comment on the music. I've got a question for you. Why not ask your listeners... But if they have bands to send you original music, or go we'll look at indigenous music, something that's a little different. Uh, we have to have it in our li- in our music catalog library. That's why. Okay, that's why. Okay. Then very very simple reason. Thanks for the call. All right, all right let's go to uh, who's next? Uh, Michelle in Ottawa. Dave for PM. You're all for that, Michelle. Oh, absolutely. I agreed with everything he says, and I just love him. And I'd be his campaign manager if you want. I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> But uh, just quickly, who's paying for Bono? Uh, that I don't know. You know, is he coming in for free, or is the Heritage Department paying him? I don't know. We don't have well, that, that information. That I got a, pro- a few years ago, I would have been out of my mind with excitement. I would have even gone down, because usually what happens is I try and get out of the city, because it's just crazy. But but this, I, I just can't stomach another artsy person coming and preaching to us here and telling us how great and lucky we are to have such a poofy prime minister i just i'm not sure he'll do that i think he'll say good things about him but he's also going to challenge him well good i hope he does and i hope we're not paying for it i heard i heard him challenge paul martin and he he laid the challenge down to paul martin when he sang at his coronation and then when he didn't live up to him he took him down yeah, I know, but it, 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 it's after the fact anyway, you know, because obviously he's 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 back on the scene and everybody's all excited. He's not even Canadian. I really, really question. I love him as an artist. I love his work. I love his music. But really, do we need him here on Canada Day and who's paying for it? That's my question. But one quick thing. Yeah. I was very surprised to hear Marnie Bennett tonight and, and how positive she was about all the uh, high tech and everything. And I'm like, that's great. Great for Ottawa. I'm surprised. But I'm especially surprised because I saw an ad recently promoting upstate New York and that ad was so effective with all the changes that they're doing there with all the uh, infrastructure repairs, airport rebuilding, uh, low. Are they trying to poach companies? Well, I'm telling you, it was such a great ad that I wanted to go there myself. Let's open up our business there. You could, uh, you could relocate there and uh, buy a house a heck of a lot cheaper. I tell you, but But, I tell you, once they start dropping the taxes, that's really going to affect a lot of small business owners, and really, it's tough enough already. It's, you know, I hear you. Got to grab one more call, Michelle. Thank you. you. Let's go to Frank. Last word to you, Frank. In Nepean, what would you do with twenty-two million? do a lot of stuff with 22 million i'd probably buy myself a house and then i'd buy my parents and my in-laws a house and then i'd pay off all their bills and everything they needed like even hydro all right so you're uh, unless you're buying really huge homes you're at 18 million frank what 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 next uh I'd probably buy myself a car a few, <laughs> <laughs> well i got a vehicle but i actually i have a, a grandfather up in uh, northwestern ontario i'd like to buy his truck off him uh, a 1956 uh, f4 f4 I think it's an F one hundred. Oh wow! 
but I'd like to buy that and re- get it all redone. That would be a nice, sweet ride. Then I could bring it to 580 CFRA and let you uh, r- drive it for a bit. <laughs> That would be fun. All right. Well, thanks for playing along. Thanks for dreaming. Last time I did this, nobody had any anything no. that they wanted to talk. I was like, what? Come on. I think it was a $50 million lottery draw. And I'm like, what would you do with $50 million? Well, in this case, we've got an actual guy in Ottawa that's won $22 million, And he's going to stay in his job for now. And he's maybe renovated his house a little bit. But he says he's not going to change too much. I can understand. Yeah. You, you know, but... Um, yeah, we all have dreams. Thanks for uh, for sharing oh, yours, Frank. And, and also, if uh, you're not busy on Sunday, this the 25th, uh, any of your CFRA Nation uh, people, yeah, I am one of the guys that got my uh, gas uh, disconnected. Okay, and I got it reconnected on uh, June 9th. And Lisa McLeod is throwing a barbecue for us on this uh, this Sunday. Yes, it is down on Majestic. Yes, between two and four. All right. Well, I'll uh, I'll make sure, I'll see if if Lisa tweets that out or somebody tweets it at me. I'll make sure to retweet that. Thanks for the call, Frank. All right. Thank you. Got to run that. Turning off my own mic. Uh, that wraps the show for tonight. Elz, uh, quickly, what's the name of the player the Sens drafted? Shane Bowers committed to Boston University next year. Okay. So um, we don't know much about him. I'm sure we'll learn lots. Wraps the show for tonight. Thanks to Ellsworth for making me sound good all through the week. Thanks to you for participating. And as always, remember, I'm on your side.